You are Locked On Rams, your daily Los Angeles Rams podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Rams Nation, welcome back to another episode of the Locked On Rams podcast. As you guys know by now, it is your host, your boy, Sosa Kremenges, a fantasy analyst at Pro Football Focus and your host of the Locked On Rams podcast, your number one daily podcast covering the Los Angeles Rams. Today's Tuesday edition of this pod is going to be an interesting one, and we're going to break down three interesting topics that are all very pertinent to the NFL right now. First off, we're going to begin with the J.J. Watt sweepstakes. He was obviously just recently released by the Houston Texans, and a lot of teams are going to be vying for his services in free agency, and the Rams are a team that continued to kind of be brought up and linked to J.J. Watt, so we're going to talk about the possibilities there. In the second segment, we're going to dive into PFF's QB annual, which just dropped the other day. And I'm telling you guys, this is the most invaluable resource you will ever see when it comes to quarterback play. And you know, we have to compare former quarterback Jared Goff with current quarterback Matthew Stafford and see how they stack up against each other. And then to round it all out, we're going to continue our positional review series and talk about the tight end group for the Los Angeles Rams in 2020. I did mention that we are going to begin with the JJ Watt sweepstakes, and that is where we're going to start this episode and I'm excited about it man because JJ Watt is a free agent like I mentioned the Texans actually cut him and according to some big media members like Ian Rappaport and such the Texans actually could have got a decent pick in return or picks I guess a trade compensation package in return for JJ Watt now we don't really know exactly what that was it could have been a second round pick maybe a third round pick maybe multiple day two day three picks whatever it could have been and you know the Texans ultimately chose to cut JJ Watt to give him the opportunity to join whichever team he pleased as you know a franchise legend and they gave him that respect which is cool but at the same time I don't think the Texans are in the position to be giving up assets for nothing and you know this is a team who doesn't have many assets they traded away a lot in terms of getting guys like Laramie Tunsil and running back Duke Johnson and all these other guys and now they don't have many picks and they're obviously a terrible football team but we're not here to talk about the Texans we're here to talk about the Rams and now we have to talk about the potential logical connection adding a guy like J.J. Watt to the Rams defense which was the number one ranked defense in the NFL in 2020 and according to our exclusive partner at betonline.ag they have the J.J. Watt next team odds dropped and the Rams are currently ranked 11th among all NFL teams at plus 1400 that is very interesting they're relatively high on that list there are some teams that are above the Rams that are probably more logical in terms of you know, the Pittsburgh Steelers where he could join his two brothers and would clearly wreak havoc with his brother TJ Watt in particular as pass rushers and all the other guys that the Steelers have like Cameron Hayward and so on and so forth. But the Green Bay Packers are another team that are relatively high on that list and they obviously make a lot of sense too. JJ Watt, I believe, is from that Wisconsin area. He did go to Wisconsin in college and I'm sure that he would like to make a run for a Super Bowl. And I think that's where the intrigue lies for a guy like JJ Watt is that He's going to either want to go to, you know, the Steelers or the Packers or the Buccaneers, maybe the Rams, these teams that are going to give him a shot to actually compete in the playoffs and make a run for a Super Bowl ring. The Cleveland Browns are another team that were brought up and that just seems so weird to say. The Cleveland Browns are an attractive free agent spot for guys on the tail end of their careers looking to make a Super Bowl run. The Cleveland Browns, wow, that is Different than your mother's Cleveland Browns, that's for sure. But, you know, I think the Rams actually have a decent shot to land Watt 
if he wants to come to LA. Well, I don't see why he wouldn't want to. You know, getting to play next to Aaron Donald would be pretty epic. J.J. Watt is still one of the best defensive linemen in football, one of the more unblockable players in football. He would obviously be a huge addition for the Rams at that edge spot, and then you kind of kick him inside on third downs and pass rushing downs and let he and Aaron Donald literally work next to each other. I don't know how you would block these two guys. I don't even know if that's actually possible. You would have to double or triple team one of them or both of them, and I guess that would really leave your edge rushers with pretty much nobody out there to block them. And that would obviously cause offenses all kind of headaches, right? And, you know, if J.J. Watt wants to go ring chase, wants to still stack up some of those statistics, maybe some sacks, whatever it may be, pressures, that kind of stuff, you know, he can further that legacy in L.A. next to a guy like Aaron Donald. I think it, I think both guys would greatly benefit from this kind of a pairing. And, you know, I don't think the Rams are necessarily the favorite to land Watt. That would probably go up to somewhere between the Packers and the Steelers, in my opinion. But, you know, if you want to chase a ring, the Rams, I think, are a good spot to do that. They just added Matthew Stafford. They're clearly a staff that's going to do whatever they got to do to try and go get that ring. Then you get to play on a defensive line next to Aaron Donald. I mean, Watt and Donald are two of the three players in NFL history to win three Defensive Player of the Year awards each. I don't know if there's ever really been a pairing that dominant. You know, you look back to the days of guys like Reggie White and Jerome Brown, and, you know, there's been a lot of good defensive ends and defensive linemen together, but that might be one of the greatest pairings, if not the greatest pairing in NFL history. Talking about J.J. Watt and Aaron Donald lining up next to each other, that would truly be something seriously fun to watch, and I would love to see it. But again, the Rams do have that salary cap issue. It's going to be tough for them to find the money for anyone, really, even talking about their own free agents, never mind a guy like J.J. Watt, who could want that last little paycheck, in addition to actually getting a chance to fight for a ring, where you know he might get a better chance to do that somewhere else in terms of balancing that relationship between money as well as the opportunity to go chase a ring, because he's probably not going to get much money with the Rams if he does ultimately sign there. But again... This is about ring chasing. This is about legacy. This is about the opportunity to play next to the best player in football. Further your legacy as one of the greatest defenders ever. And while J.J. Watt has fallen off a bit of a cliff in terms of the actual statistics recently, you know, this is a guy who's still dominant. Don't get it twisted. He only had five sacks last season and he only had four the year before. But in 2018, he had a 17 sack season. 81 total pressures according to Pro Football Focus. And again, you know, the last two years have been a bit of a fall off with 58 and 50 total pressures. But still, this is a guy who wins a lot as a pass rusher, is nearly unblockable as a run defender. He's very similar to Aaron Donald in that regard in terms of he impacts plays and offenses way more than the statistics indicate. And I think the pairing between Watt and Donald would truly be something to behold. I think every NFL team other than NFC West divisional rival fans would want to see these two play together on the same defensive line and go ring chase with the new addition of quarterback Matthew Stafford. Talking about Matthew Stafford, in the next segment, we're going to continue this episode of the Locked On Rams podcast, diving into the PFF QB annual, comparing Stafford and Jared Goff to each other. And while we've got you, make sure to come connect with us on Twitter for all the coverage you need on the Los Angeles Rams. You can find me at QB's MVP, and you can find the page at Locked On Rams. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Football might be over, but the NBA, college basketball, and the NHL are in full swing. And bet online even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV. Get real-time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. Bet online has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today 
and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. That's betonline.ag. February is Black History Month, and the Locked On Podcast Network is honoring the challenges and success of black men and women in sports with a new series called Locked On Presents More Than the Game. This week, Candace Cooper of Locked On Tar Heels and Erica Ayala of Locked On Women's Basketball discuss the opportunities and challenges that come with being a black woman in sports. Subscribe to the Locked On Presents podcast feed on the Radio.com app or wherever you get podcasts. Welcome back to the second segment of this Tuesday edition of the Locked On Rams podcast. I mentioned before the break that we're going to spend this next few minutes talking about the quarterback comparison between Stafford and Goff the current quarterback of the Los Angeles Rams and the former quarterback of the Rams. And all these numbers are based off of PFF's QB annual, which they release on a yearly basis. And I'm telling you, this thing is so detailed. It's honestly absurd how good this content is. And I'm glad that I have the opportunity to break it down with you guys in terms of the numbers and just give you a better look. What did Stafford do well last season? Where did he maybe not do so well? How did Jared Goff do last season? Where was he good? Where was he not? And mainly the difference between the two, I think that's the most important topic and point here is I want to illustrate the difference between where Stafford was productive, where Jared Goff maybe left a little bit on the table to be desired and why the Rams ultimately made that decision to go out and get Stafford because I've talked about it over the last few weeks in terms of the tape and my opinion, but it's very hard to actually put into statistics and you know actually help you guys understand why the move was made, right? Because I can tell you all the time that, yeah, he's accurate. Yeah, the ball placement's better. Yeah, the decision-making is better. But where does he win? How does he win? Where do they differ? And that is why we got these numbers, and I'm excited to share them. And so we're going to begin with the first number, and that is grade from a clean pocket, meaning no pass rushers bearing down on either guy or you know pressure or anything like that. Jared Goff ranked 18th out of 32 among all quarterbacks in the league. And Stafford was 16th out of 32, so not a very big difference between the two. Obviously, Stafford was a little bit higher, but again, not a big difference between the two. The big difference here are the next few numbers. You look at the under pressure grade, Jared Goff was 31st out of 32, and Matt Stafford was 12th out of 32 quarterbacks. Obviously, that is quite a big discrepancy, and it's an important one because the Rams allowed a decent amount of pressure last season. And quarterbacks are going to get pressured at some point, regardless how good your offensive line is. And ironically enough, the Rams now have a guy who is a polar opposite of the guy that they used to have. Jared Goff was a guy who could not handle pressure. His game just severely depleted as soon as pressure came, muddied pockets, guys bearing down on him. That's when he was at his worst. And ironically enough, that's where Matthew Stafford does well. And that's going to be a weird thing to get used to, I think, for Rams fans. But I think that's one of the major reasons why the coaching staff and front office actually went out to go and find a guy like Stafford to actually just be able to throw him in there and depend on him to be consistent, whether the pocket is clean, whether the pocket is muddied, whether he has to go off platform and change his arm angle or, you know, play out of structure. I think Stafford does that a lot better than Jared Goff. And this number here, I think does a good job of encapsulating that. The next big number and discrepancy here is the big time throw percentage. Jared Goff, once again, ranked 31st out of 32 and Stafford was 10th out of 32 guys. Now the big time throws are essentially throws that are tough to make for quarterbacks, right? It's not your typical average wide open receiver with a lot of separation, throw it with a clean pocket and a simple pass. Now we're talking about passes that are a little bit more difficult in terms of separation wise, in terms of length, distance, all of that stuff put together. And Stafford 
is clearly significantly better, or at least was this past season, than Jared Goff. And again, that's a big discrepancy there. 31st to 10th is, you know, going from arguably the worst in the league or second worst, I guess, to a guy in the top 10. That's, you know, borderline elite or at least in the very good category. You look at the positive grade rate of positively graded throws and Jared Goff, once again, 28th out of 32, not that good. Stafford coming in in the top 10 once again at the ninth spot. These are all numbers that you want to see. And once again, this does encapsulate very well the difference between a guy like Goff and Stafford. Stafford is your average quarterback in terms of the mistakes, right? He's going to make a mistake every now and again. It's going to be rather boneheaded. You're not going to know why he threw that pass because, you know, as a fan sitting on the sidelines, it's easy to say, what the heck? There's a defender right underneath that route. Why would you throw that? And, you know, Stafford does that from time to time. He's not perfect, but the difference between Stafford and Jared Goff is that Jared Goff does it at a much higher rate. Obviously, we know that he led the NFL in turnovers over the last two seasons, but not only that, he had those backbreaking interceptions, the ones to defensive tackles, the ones to linebackers underneath and absolutely blanket coverage you know guys just sitting right there in zones and not only were they interceptions they got taken back to the other side and to the house and picked sixth and that is like the biggest backbreaker you can have for an offense you want to be scoring points when you're out there never mind you know getting scored on that's never the name of the game and ultimately this is another big discrepancy between a guy like Jared Goff and Matthew Stafford Stafford is going to make a lot less mistakes and the mistakes that he makes are going to be a lot less boneheaded And the ones that he does ultimately make, because every quarterback does at some point, are going to be your average, basic, oh, why did you do that? It's an interception. All right, defense, get out there. Let's get on to the next one. Whereas Jared Goff, more often than not, it felt like, you know, it's a strip sack picked and scooped and scored, or, you know, a, a drive is mounting and he does something very silly and ultimately takes points off the board and all these crucial mistakes that were either taking points off the board or giving the opposing defense and the opposing team an opportunity to score. And those are just the mistakes that you simply cannot have in the NFL. Maybe the biggest difference between Jared Goff and Matt Stafford is their actual ability to push the ball vertical. We talked about it ad nauseum. It feels like all of last season, all of the off season, Jared Goff does not want to push the ball vertical or at least didn't this past season. And when you look at the numbers between the two, Jared Goff only threw vertical passes on 6% of his pass attempts. Matthew Stafford nearly doubled that at 11%. Then you look at the post and corner routes, deep routes as well, but you know, not vertical guys that are breaking either left or right, essentially on the field, depending on where they're lining up. Jared Goff threw those 6% of the time and Stafford threw those 3% of the time. I think the main difference there might be something to do with scheme, but I haven't watched the lines enough to actually be able to tell you that uncertainty. So, you know, we're going to have to kind of break that down moving forward. But again, it shows a major difference between the two. Matthew Stafford is going to push it vertical. He does not care whether he has the personnel out there, the offensive line. He's going to push it deep. And that's one of the fun parts about Matthew Stafford's game is that he's not going to be a guy who's going to take three yard passes and five yard dump offs all game. He has that explosion ability where you're sitting back in your seat all game. You're kind of bored. Nothing's happening. And then boom, in one given second, it's a 73-yard touchdown or a 57-yard completion. And that is the kind of stuff that Sean McVay wants out of his quarterback. He talked about it in his press conference recently. He wants a greater source of big plays. And that starts at the quarterback spot. You need a guy who's going to be willing to push the ball deep. And Stafford wants to do that. One last number that I picked up between the two guys that I thought was fascinating, and there's no legitimate correlation to anything here, but 
they both threw to their first read on 70% of their passing attempts. Now that is just a little bit of a fascinating tidbit, nothing more. You know, I looked at some other quarterbacks like a Aaron Rodgers, for example, and he threw on his first read 64% of the time. And I found that most guys were in that 60 to 80% range most closer to that 65 to 75% range. And so that was just a fascinating tidbit that I picked up and wanted to share with you guys. Coming up when we return in the final segment, we're going to continue our positional review series and talk about the tight end position for the Los Angeles Rams in 2020. And make sure to keep checking back with us on the Locked on Rams podcast because we're going to continue our offseason coverage for the Los Angeles Rams. Folks, are you having any car troubles? You ever go outside to find your car tires flat or your car won't even start? Well, you should absolutely check out rockauto.com for your service needs. They are a family-owned business, and they've been serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. There is not a better time than right now to support a family-owned business, obviously, with COVID being a whole thing. And if you're a do-it-yourselfer or a professional, and you're looking for reliably low prices, you guys need to honestly check them out. Go to their website, check out all of their available parts. It's a massive, never-ending list, and if your car needs it, they've probably got it. Amazing selections, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. RockAuto.com and write Locked On in their How Did You Hear About Us so they know that we sent you. NFL analyst Brian Peacock and former NFL scout Matt Williamson host Locked On's Peacock and Williamson every Monday through Friday. Brian and Matt give you the national perspective all around the NFL, covering all the latest news and insight on every game, team, and move around the NFL. Get your picks, previews, and much more every weekday with the Peacock and Williamson podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the final segment of this Tuesday edition of the Locked On Rams pod. You guys know I'm always grateful and appreciative of you guys sticking around with me, checking in on new episodes and sticking around this long through this episode in particular, and I appreciate that. We're going to dive now into our positional review series. We're making our way through the roster one position by one position, and today's topic is going to be the tight end spot. And I want to highlight the performances of guys like Tyler Higby, Gerald Everett, Johnny Munt, talk about what they did well and where they maybe lacked a little bit in terms of the production. And I think that mostly had to do with scheme as opposed to actual talent. Now, looking at the comparison of these guys, Johnny Munt was included as a receiver and statistical producer to a much lesser degree. He only had four targets on the season. And ironically enough, he brought in all four of those for receptions for 53 yards, which is good. But again, not used very much outside of his blocking responsibilities and special teams responsibilities. The two guys that shared the torch as the number one and number two tight end, and there was a little bit of an injury there with Tyler Higby, which is why Gerald Everett's stats may be are improved and increased a little bit more than they typically would have been in a regular season. But Higby and Everett both actually had 59 targets on the season. Higby brought in 44 of those for 521 yards and five touchdowns. And Everett brought in 41 receptions for 417 yards for one touchdown. Both very close in every statistic. You look at the yards after the catch. Higby had 246, Everett with 241. So again, very close. And then the first downs, Higby with 27, Everett with 24. It is eerie just how close Tyler Higby and Gerald Everett's statistics are, as well as yesterday's podcast, if you guys listened or if you didn't, just how close Robert Woods and Cooper Cup's production was. And I don't know if that's just a let's get everyone to eat kind of mentality thing, or if it's just, you know, ironic coincidence kind of thing, but it's fascinating just to see how similar everyone's production is specifically at the same positions. It's very interesting to me. One more statistic that I wanted to highlight here, actually two, the missed tackles forced 
Higby with six, Everett with nine. We know Everett is the yak god, the guy that, you know, is going to break tackles. He's the best with the ball in his hands where he can actually break tackles, get out of contact, and create yardage after the catch. Whereas Higby is more of just a matchup guy. You know, he's going to make good catches with good route running, create some separation, and, you know, he's pretty good at everything. He can put his hand in the dirt, line up next to a tight end in line like your traditional tight end. He's going to block. He's pretty decent at blocking. You know, he's not very powerful like a Rob Gronkowski type of blocker, but he is a guy who wins with positioning and leg drive. And, you know, he does a very good job at that. He's not a dominant blocker by any means, but he is about average or above average as a blocker. And he does allow the Rams to be multiple in terms of what they want to do on first downs, second downs. You don't have to sub him out like you would a Gerald Everett. But again, Gerald Everett's not a terrible blocker either. You know, he doesn't have the same skill as Higby does when it comes to blocking. And he definitely isn't a good blocker by any means when you compare him to other guys across the league that are going to put their hand in the dirt and just get absolutely nasty with it. But He's willing to do it. You know, he sprung some pretty big runs that were headed behind him in terms of the direction. And you can't really ask a guy to do much more than that. I mean, he's just a smaller tight end by nature. He's like 6'2 or 6'3, you know, 240 pounds, where when you look at a guy like Rob Gronkowski, he's like 6'6, 6'7, 275, 265. Obviously, the guy that's three or four inches taller, 30 or 40 pounds heavier, should theoretically be stronger and therefore a better blocker. And that was the case, obviously, with those guys. Looking at the average depth of target, Higby, 8.4, Everett, 6.1. I think this was an area where the Rams really lacked. They weren't very unique and interesting in terms of how they deployed their tight ends. I feel like these two guys were very underutilized in terms of the way they were used. Obviously, you know, they got their decent statistics, but 400 yards, 500 yards for your starting tight end isn't that much, especially when you only have like two established receivers like Cup and Woods. We're not talking about a team with three or four deep receivers that had six, seven, eight, nine hundred yards on the season. I believe that they could have utilized these guys a little bit better. We talked about it way back in the offseason. I don't know if you guys recall, but you know, motion a guy like Everett outside the numbers, motion Higby outside of the numbers, move these guys around, utilize them as the mismatch weapons that they are. And the Rams just didn't do that. I'm not sure why. It's kind of been a thing with Sean McVay since he got to LA. You know, going back to his days in Washington, Jordan Reed was one of the most utilized tight ends in football. This guy was a target monster. He was productive as hell. He was winning all over the field. And then McVay comes to LA and is now the head coach, not just an offensive coordinator. And for whatever reason, the tight ends just aren't really used that often. And I don't know if that's just a schematic thing. I think it's probably fair to say that that's the case at this point. I mean, it's been four or five seasons, so that's not exactly an outlier at this point. It feels like it's just how it is with Sean McVay. But, you know, I would love to see more utilization of these guys, specifically Higby, because, you know, he's going to be back next year. It seems like Everett is hitting the free agent market right now, and he's probably going to take off. The Rams did draft Bryson Hopkins in the fourth round last year. I believe he was out of Purdue, but that might be wrong. So if that is, please excuse me. But he was a guy that was very similar to Everett coming out. A tall, lankier receiver type of tight end. He's not going to put his hand in the dirt. He's not going to drive guys off the ball and create massive holes for running backs. That's not who he is. What he is, is an oversized slot, a guy you want to motion outside of the numbers, 
get a linebacker, get a safety out there with him in one-on-one coverage where you can utilize him essentially like you would a wide receiver. You know, you're going to take advantage of those matchups. That's who Bryson Hopkins is. He's going to win up the seam. And I think we're going to see a lot more of Hopkins next season as that tight end two behind Higby. But again, I would love to see both Higby, Hopkins, whoever it might be, just get utilized more inside of the offense. You know, the Rams did pay Tyler Higby a decent amount of money two years ago. And it feels like he just hasn't really been utilized as a tight end. I'm still thinking back to that week two game against the Philadelphia Eagles where Higby felt like he was unstoppable that day. I think he had probably 80 or 90 yards on the day. He had three receiving touchdowns, three out of the five that he had all season. And one play in particular that I'm thinking about is what I've been begging for from Sean McVay, from the Rams for like three or four seasons. It's the tight end throwback. It's one of the best plays in football. And when you're a zone running offense, that's exactly the kind of play you want to utilize because you're stretching runs to the boundary all game, time after time, snap after snap. And the tight end throwback is the perfect play off of that because you look like you're running another zone concept exactly like it's a running play. The tight end even works to the second level to pretend like he's going to block. But where the play differs is the quarterback will obviously pull the ball out. It's a play action pass. The tight end won't block and he's going to continue working upfield into somewhat of a wheel route and that tight end is going to work opposite of where the quarterback is coming out of the pocket to let go of that pass. So It's very well flowing and it tricks and deceives the defense very well. And that is the 40-yard touchdown that Tyler Higby scored on against the Eagles. That is a play that I think should be a staple in every single NFL playbook, especially if you're a zone running team that runs a lot of outside zone. It's the perfect play to work off of that. And that was a tremendous opportunity for the Rams to pull that out. And that's what they did. And it was clearly a unique and smart way to deploy their tight end, work off of the scheme. And it resulted in a big touchdown. And I think that the Rams have the opportunity to do that much more often moving forward. And I think Sean McVay is going to get into the lab this offseason and concoct a lot more fun and interesting plays like that that are going to utilize the running game more, the tight ends more, and marry all of his concepts together at a better rate, similar to how he did in 2018. That is all we got for you guys today on this episode of the Tuesday edition of the Locked on Rams podcast. I appreciate you guys for sticking around all episode with me. We're going to continue our coverage of the Los Angeles Rams all offseason. So keep checking back in with us. We've got a boatload of interesting topics to continue hitting. And that's what we're going to do all offseason long. Just a reminder, come connect with us on Twitter. You can find me at QBsMEP and you can find the page at Rams. Please subscribe or follow to get our latest episodes, content, breaking news, and a whole lot more. 